episode 26 design company podcast and today we have a very very intriguing guest a chap that i've known for a number of years now and i really uh, respect and appreciate uh, his thinking and approach to things but before we further get into the topics alex please tell us who are you hello there hi uh, so my name is alexander tang i'm the founder of tangy agency uh, basically, it's just a, uh, a design agency where, I mean, my f- clear focus would be on UX design, but we also do kind of logo and branding work and kind of all sorts. And I used to be an architectural designer way back in the past. And effectively, I transitioned into designing digital products about four or five years ago uh, by you know, starting off doing websites, then of course mobile applications, both native and kind of like just kind of responsive applications that uh, that just goes across different platforms. And right now, these days, I'm kind of working with um, clients from across a, a number of industries, from kind of PR to accountancy to architectural software. Awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I've I've witnessed your uh, development as both a human and a professional and a thinker and a designer and all these kind of things, you know, and uh, we haven't spoken for a while. And, and now I can see like massive, you know, uh, like maturity, you know, that that's happened in your um, in, in your thinking and approach and speaking and everything. So so that's, uh, you know, awesome to see. And, you know, I can only imagine like where you're going to get to in, uh, you know, let's say 10 years from now. But give us like a little sort of, uh, you know, outline of the purpose of Tangy Agency, which is pretty a uh, catchy name, I must admit. Uh, and you know, you. Here, here, I think both uh, both both Mo and I are, are hearing about this first time. So it's like this is like now f- going to become like a full blown interrogation because I'm already like, uh, you know, uh, you already caught my ear with the name. So tell us the purpose. Of course. Uh, well, the actual purpose of the of the company is slightly um at odds with the 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 kind of bright sparky nature of the name <laughs> i mean in, in in a way i mean we're quite independent you know we, we help startup founders achieve their vision that's what we're trying to do we're trying to help them like you know create the app they want trying to help them to understand a business better you know consult with them and let them to understand basically like you know where their business is at and you know what a fantastic well-designed product can do for them and you know really help their business to take off makes sense so i mean you've had to recap your purpose alex it really is about you know not just designing pretty interfaces but really kind of connecting where a company would go is going with how that's going to look in terms of the digital world that they're putting forward Absolutely. Like, you know, I'm doing things that I never imagined I would do as as a designer, which is basically to help people understand their business better, to really design their their product based around their business and even design a business for them. And I mean, I like to think of it as like having having a good understanding of a a founder's business. uh, It's really kind of foundational to creating design design almost takes a a, a back seat mm. to a good business model 
So, so actually, one thing I found actually working with designers, you know, like, like Jason, um, is that design is actually, you know, the part that you can see, you know, the tangible product interface, whatever, is actually only the end part. It's really like the last 20% of work. And really 80% beforehand is saying, you know, what does our universe look like? What are the assumptions that we have? What are the principles that we want to build into the design? And so this, I think, you know, is what separates designers from, uh, let's say, painters. Absolutely. I mean, like, um, when, when, you're, when you're creating a, a work of art, you, you're, you're not really thinking about, it's, it's, you're not connecting all the dots. So for, in our line of work, as kind of UX designers, and even, like with the, even when we're doing the UI ourselves, we're really connecting the dots here. We're, we're, we're kind of like going across different types of uh, thinking and really like a varied experience base is very useful to a career as, as a designer in this field. So what about uh, the people that you are serving? Tell us a little bit more about the people and, and what makes you the person to serve them in the best way. Uh, well, the kind of people I serve would be basically uh, people with an idea, but they can't afford full-fledged agency experience. Uh, they, don't, they obviously cannot employ anybody in-house. So what I provide for them is basically... I am providing that kind of full cycle experience for them in order to get their business going. So I create a lot of MVPs. And of course, with that experience, I am able to help other startup founders with their MVPs or minimum viable products for your audience. Mm, awesome. And is it so how about in terms of your system and approach to this? Are you have you sort of because it took me some decade plus to actually start putting my system formally into kind of written format. And then I kind of maybe ended up going overboard in like documenting systems and I'm still doing that. It's kind of like, you know, nobody can stop me uh, in that. Sometimes Mo is like, you know, Jason, stop, stop putting new systems out there. But um, <laughs> so do you have a system that you stick to as a maybe even sort of in a quite religious way or prescribed way, or how do you, how do you work with your clients? Well, um, funny you should say that. So Jason, obviously like your design system, the kind of like systems you have generated uh, work really well. And, and basically it's, it's, a, it's a universal approach. And uh, what I've, uh, I found is that, yeah, these systems are fantastic. But really, it is horses for courses. So it is entirely dependent on the, the people I'm working for, the people I'm working with. And I, I need to like understand multiple different kind of systems and ways of working in order to find the right one for the right client. I mean, you said systems of way of working, Alex. I mean... You know, there is kind of adapting to the mode of communication and, you know, the mode of innovation that a client wants. But I mean, yourself specifically, you know, is there kind of a system that you have to systematically approach the changes in the various people, you know? Because surely, like, you know, let's say like you're going on a trip, right? You're going from point A to B. Like, the system is, I'll get you reliably from point A to B. But some people might enjoy some detours. Some might want to travel in a different way. So, you know, what's kind of your system for getting us from A to B, wherever we are, basically? 
Uh, it, it takes a real kind of deep understanding and I take a, a, a quite informal approach. I want to work with the stakeholders very closely in an informal manner. So, I mean, I, I, I try to cut through, uh, I try to get to the point, I need to be speaking with the CEO and CTO. If you've got those people in place, those are people I, I, need to, I need to be working with. And the way I tend to work is I tend to take the approach that what have they got in place already? I'm trying to fill the gaps in their knowledge because they've done a lot of work themselves. Um, so as a designer, we don't, I mean, I, I am of the opinion that you should know a little bit of everything, but you should probably not have domain expertise in anything, which means that, for example, if I'm working with an accountancy software company, then the people I'm speaking to the people I'm getting experience from would be very different to, let's say, an e-commerce platform. With an e-commerce platform, I myself am a consumer, I am a customer and a user of multiple e-commerce platforms. I would have a bit of experience and expertise in using these products. But whereas if I'm approaching a complete, if, I'm, if, I, if I find myself in a completely new industry or domain, then who am I relying on in that particular instance? It would actually be, oddly enough, the customer experience people or the salespeople, because these are the people who, who, have, who offer customer support and they communicate mainly with the end users. And the way I kind of think about it is if I'm getting from A to B, whether I'm traveling by car, by train or by plane, it's, it really depends on the context. So whether I want to get there quicker, whether I want to get there more efficiently for less cost, or maybe I just want a more pleasant experience with better scenery. That's what, that's, that's what a tailored approach looks like. So, I mean, one thing you mentioned there, and actually I quite appreciated that you said that. You said you're speaking with the CEO and the CTO, right? But mm -hmm. you still rely on the salespeople, the customer success, whatever. So, I mean, just before I ask my question, can you give us an idea, Alex, of kind of like the size of companies that you tend to work with, generally speaking? Generally speaking, the size of companies I'm working for is between kind of three to 30. Okay, cool. Okay, so like, let's say, you know, you come in company with like 20 people. Um, maybe CEO says, well, you know, we want to revamp our digital experience to get more customers. Does that sound like something you've been through? Like, can you give us kind of a vague example of a project? Yes. I mean, the, the way we kind of look into a project like that is basically what are the existing inefficiencies? What does somebody who hasn't seen the product and, are, you know, they're just approaching it from a new perspective? Mm. Because that's what happens when, when you've got a CEO and a CTO working on this product for, let's say, two years by this point, and they've already got a customer base. Uh, they become very myopic and they don't understand where where the product is falling down. Mm. So obviously you can come up with any number of KPIs, but a lot of the times it really is just, you know, approaching it with a fresh pair of eyes and then immediately realizing, oh, hang on a minute, that's inefficient. Uh, that, that process requires too many clicks. That process requires too, you know, doesn't, there's many structures not uh, structured well. The information architecture needs looking at so, I mean, that's just like, you know, a fairly recent example, but I've, I've just, I found the same kind of uh, principles applied to multiple clients, which is basically the inefficiency is blindingly obvious when you approach it with, with a fresh pair of eyes. 
Yeah, there's an element of uh, screen blindness that people develop when they continuously look at the same screen and they basically end up con convincing themselves that what they're looking at is the only way a thing can be. Uh, and that's certainly the case for UX designers, especially UI designers. I've seen graphics designers can literally become like zombified sitting in front of laptops kind of thinking can't, they can't think anything different and uh, sometimes just snapping them out of that is uh, the best thing that can happen to them but in terms of innovation Alex one of the things that I've noticed in especially UX design uh, sphere that happens is that let's say if we roll back 10 years ago, a UX designer, uh, if they threw together a couple of wireframes and things like that, and they looked better or you know, were easier to comprehend than what's currently on the website, you, know, you would be winning. Then it became a thing where you had to prototype a bunch of things and then you would be winning. Then it became a thing where you had to split things up into components and document those components and really think about the information architecture quite thoroughly. Then you would be winning. Then you had to really go into like the research and personas and user journeys and the current state of the system and the future intended state and maybe start thinking about you know how this product might evolve over a number of releases. Then you would be winning. And then literally right now i'm working with a client where i'm being asked to project manage ux design ui design architect componentized build everything from um first principles um you know sta stand up every day in agile standups with all the stakeholders communicate with developers uh, really think about the white labeling of the system and how it's going to work for other clients etc etc and within that i'm being asked to also innovate and so on so my question is how are you handling this what's and are you experiencing first of all the same kind of thing and secondly how are you handling innovation where within all of those things that that we're increasingly being asked to do now you also got to come up with some innovative new ideas that nobody else has done before how do you handle all of that stuff <laughs> um, that is such a good question uh, because, I mean, we need to look kind of look at the definition of innovation to begin with, which is, of course, as UX designers for the past decade, really what a lot of people have been doing is basically if a new kind of design feature or a new uh, UI element kind of emerges, then everyone's kind of copying and looking to do the same. So innovation, really, I mean, it's in, in other fields, it's kind of like you're actually making a technological leap and you're actually like having faith that you, you are right in doing that. Uh, in our field, it's kind of more adapting something that already works or exists and finding, finding that kind of application in another part of the UI. So in terms of like being innovative, I've often, I've often found that, so you've got, on the one hand, whether or not you should be innovative is a question to be had with the client. Uh, because of course, it is very useful to be able to just use kind of like, uh, for example, uh, JS components, uh, whereby, you know, the developers and the tech team already knows how to use that. They already, uh, especially with uh, elements such as, you know, 
tables and charts and graphs. Um, in terms of actually like presenting information, for example, in an innovative kind of way, do you want to go down that rabbit hole and create a whole kind of design system of brand new, you know, brand new kind of um, ways of presenting data? Or do you want to just do something that uh, is an established industry norm and that the developers have already have the components for? So a lot of the times, once you have that conversation with a client, they realize that innovation is not quite what they thought it was essentially it's like you know um you've got to invest time and effort to develop something new and then there's of course like you're you're going to be you're going to be asking somebody to do something which um they don't already have a prior experience it's the kind of like catch 22 of uh especially with ui design which is that <laughs> if you if you do actually create a brand new way of interacting with a product nobody knows how to use that yeah. I mean that's kind of that's kind of the reason why you know um, if 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 you like listen to like a Samsung executive uh, or like any kind of Android company you know any company that uses an Android operating platform why does you why, why do your features look so similar to like Apple's for example well it's to facilitate uh, ease of switching between the two different operating systems and you know some basically as I mean, have you have you ever like um, have you ever like tried to teach uh, an older relative in the family how to use a t tech product? It's kind of that principle where once they've learned a pattern of use, you, they start to expect that same pattern with other products. So, mm -hmm. w where's the benefit in innovating? All you can do is kind of iterate on that. Yeah, so it's more like uh, about when you start working on a cluster of products or services or certainly um, looking to improve, for example, an existing product that usually right now the platform that I'm working on has got hundreds of pages and different instances of interactive states of it and all that kind of stuff. And so when iterative improvements or incremental improvements are made across all of that, basically the end product looks radically different to whatever was there before. Uh, so it's a bit akin to, you know, there is no kind of innovative difference in some sense between Tesla and another kind of gas car because they all have like four wheels, doors, motor, steering wheel, all that kind of stuff. But then when you start looking at incrementally the differences in the approach and the components and so on, it's actually quite a way away. And the, yeah. the, I suppose the, 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 the kind of real skill and the trick for UX designers is to tap into some sort of innate uh, predictability of humans, that kind of irrational predictability without having to coach and teach them. And if we have to do that, we have to kind of introduce that in design as a kind of natural uh, sort of way for the users to discover that, which is always tricky. And we know that it can work like 50, 50% of the time, like the Norman doors. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> look that up. It's the doors that you have to handle. And sometimes you push it and you're supposed to pull. And sometimes you pull when you're supposed to push. It's kind of 50, 50. Uh, chance. Uh, Mo, do you want to ask a product-related question? <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, you guys were talking about innovation for quite a bit. I mean, just to come back on that and ask a question about product. If you look at, if you look at innovation in the digital space today, right, it's like cooking. So 
all three of us can have the exact same set of ingredients and we might make, we'll probably make three completely different uh, dishes of pasta, right? And so if we look today at like digital space, all the APIs, all the tech, all the components are out there. The real innovation is iteratively, con continuously making these small improvements. And they're also identifying major value adds. So products in design company sense that we can roll out through the right recombination of what already exists. So I'll ask you a simple question, uh, Alex. What's, what is it that you actually produce? And I mean, how does that translate into your money for your customers? And when I say product, I don't mean like necessarily tangible web interface, wireframes, you know. I really mean product in the design company sense, which is the value generated for your customers, which I presume can be, uh, you know, measured in money as well. So how do you go about conceiving that? I mean, uh, I effectively, depending on the type of client, so let's discuss uh, the kind of two main types of clients. You've got a client with an existing product, and then you've got a client with no product to begin with. A client with an existing product, you are effectively looking at eff efficiency. You're looking to, you know, hit certain KPIs, uh, better conversion or something, or lowering the number of clicks. And then, of course, the, the client with no product, obviously, you're going from kind of zero to one, where anything you do offers in tremendous value because they started with nothing. So with those types of clients, uh, you, you need to create a brand new product. And then at some point, that product will be, uh, there will there'll be iterations of that product and it will be improved. But that's kind of, um, that's, that's, that's not where they are at the moment. And the value that I am providing uh, to, let's say, a startup founder is that their vision is now live. There we go. This is now a product that they can start testing with customers, that they can use as part of their kind of pitch and then for some, for, for me to be improving on uh, on an existing product, I'm looking at uh, like what I was discussing before, which is um, just kind of sanity checks, just basic sanity checks to see does does it actually make sense? Um, I want to go back to like um, something that Jason was saying uh, before about kind of um, because one of the things I love is I love uh, automobile analogies for design. It is just, it, it functions so, so well. Um, and one of the key things, like, uh, sorry to go uh, go back a little bit to the innovation argument, which is with vehicle design, like what, what counts as innovation with vehicle design? And that's kind of, um, that's kind of like a, a good way of looking at kind of UX design, which is, unfortunately, there's only so few things you can do. You can't, you can't like, uh, even though like actual kind of web design is not regulated you can't design something that people can't use or they have no prior experience of using so you know going from the horse and cart to the car obviously that is a leap and they people learned eventually how to use a car but at the same time you can't for example design a vehicle um with um you know with certain features completely missing that people expect to be there, or if you are doing, that's the risk you're willing to take, for example. So, so the you know, car without it, brakes is not innovation. That's not innovation. 
that's not innovation. But what is innovative is the ability for like uh, one pedal driving, which is like regenerative braking via electric vehicle, where you basically don't need to use the brakes, but the brakes still needs to be there. Uh, or another kind of, if you can call this innovation, is of course having cameras instead of mirrors. So all of a sudden, you don't need a back mirror. You just have cameras at, in the back of your car. And then, of course, your door, your, your door mirrors will also be replaced by cameras. But is that truly innovative? Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is the, 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 the challenging uh, thing to answer about innovation is always uh, Lynn's cars, uh, which I'm going to <laughs> screen share. And that, of course, is a famous uh, e-commerce <laughs> website that looks pretty much like this and uh, is often used as a as an example of kind of going back into like extreme uh, early 90s designs uh, and it's super loud it's super breaking every single interaction pattern yep. pretty much yet uh, it stands out because the innovative thing there is that it's all about breaking the rules and making something super loud and this site actually changes like pretty frequently to keep staying differently crazy looking uh yet uh there is element of usability to it look at this brexit risk free <laughs> crazy stuff uh so so um you know it 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 does uh, achieve something that's radically different and perhaps innovation can be spoken about doing something different with a purpose perhaps let's let's say it like that uh so yeah lynn's cars is always one that kind of stands out there reminding us that these things can be done quite differently <laughs> of course and 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 what's interesting about what you said about like how something like lynn's cars looks so different is because like fashion things go go around in circles what was unfashionable what was fashionable yesterday becomes fashionable tomorrow and what's unfashionable today you never know you just never know uh then when it comes to money side of things uh tell us alex why is design important to money it is so incredibly important to the point where like sometimes it pains me to, to listen to people who concentrate only on the design aspect without any consideration for actually like, you know, the monetary aspect of a product. And the reason for this is because this is what your product is an extension of. You don't want to think about it. And you can, you know, you can just be a fine artist if you want, but in reality, your product is an extension of the business. Uh, sometimes like, you know, the business is built around a product, you know, that's what, that's what SaaS companies are, you know, it's software as a service, the software you are designing is their service. But even if it's not, even if it's just an e-commerce website, that is their entire business. They don't have any store funds. Your, your website design has to be so good that people will choose it over a comparable website. And it is everything. So um, one of the kind of examples that, you know, I could give you as for what as a designer you should be able to understand uh, is where, 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 where business and design overlaps. What kind of experience you are generating, which actually 
you know, serves the purpose of a business. So for example, a recent client of mine, um, as part of it, the kind of e-commerce platform, they wanted to do gift boxes because they were selling fairly low valued items like the kind of snacks and drinks, which doesn't really make sense to be delivered individually. So if you were de delivering like kind of a, you know, low value CPG items, uh, you have to, you have to order kind of uh, in bulk or you've got to order several at once. So their idea, the founder's idea was we, they were going to do these kind of gift boxes and they wanted a digital representation of a, of a gift box. So after, you know, thoroughly interrogating the idea of, you know, this kind of digital gift box, um, I arrived at this incredibly simple conclusion, which saved thousands of pounds and <laughs> maybe like, uh, you know, at least several weeks of developer hours, which is effectively all they needed was a minimum order. That's all the business required was a minimum order because it would have achieved exactly the same user experience. So again, this is the power of design, right, Alex? Something I want to emphasize what you just said. People think it's often, you know, that 100 pages of wireframes, but actually for me, really good design is kind of taking things away until you can't take anything more away. And so very often, you know, for example, there was um, the story of the lady who designed the, the Citibank logo, right? And like, you know, she just like drew it on a napkin and they paid her like 300K, and he was like, yeah, but you know, you're, you're paying me not for the three minutes it took, but for the 10 years that it took to know it was this simple and this was what your brand was, right? And so I think, you know, it's really important when I think about design, not to think about colors, et cetera, but really see it as kind of a cohesive way of saying, you know, what, what is it that makes the most sense? What is really needed? And then just removing all the fluff until we only have value remaining, essentially. And so, you know, talking about value, then if you have to look at growth, Alex, um, maybe how do you measure that for yourself? How, how do you measure that for clients? You know, how is growth a relevant concept in your world, essentially? Very open question. I mean, in a way, growth is everything. And in another way, it kind of isn't. I mean, growth is basically what you need to get investor money, get capital, you know, show people that it's a working business. It helps with cash flow. It helps with, you know, it's, it's everything to the business, but at the same time, you're, 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 you need to think about, a, you need to design in a way that's scalable. So you're not really thinking about, you know, how many multiples of uh, people are using this product. Uh, the product really is just dealing with one user and it's just scaling that, it's scaling that across, you know, uh, worldwide, international, across borders, in different languages. That's what that's what you're looking at. The experience has to work for this, that that final individual user. And if it does, then you're just you're just applying that same principle in whatever language, in wh whichever territory. Uh, but of course, like you know, if you're asking, like for example, what kind of metrics I measure. It's basic usability metrics. You know, you can you can do color contrasts. You can deal with like you know, uh, font sizes. You can deal with margins, etc. Responsiveness, uh, and you know, metrics like uh, load times. You know, is this is this website going to load? What's 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 the bounce rate? Are people just being annoyed by the long load times? 
just kind of to, to bounce on that and capture this thought as it's coming through my mind, it, it sounds to me like, because you, know, you, you and Jason are both design professionals, uh, I know as, as true as you on that side, but it sounds to me like essentially there's kind of two sets of metrics here when we're looking at design. It's kind of like, let's say, standardized benchmark metrics that can apply anywhere. You know, basically like you can go to any company, work on any digital project and these metrics will apply. And then there are growth metrics that are very specific to the business and which should be few in number and which should be the guiding metrics that are, that are informing all the development and design work you're doing. So if our key metric is higher average basket order, how is all the design work we're doing conducive to increasing the average value of that basket order? And so, you know, responsiveness, all of these, they're going to be technical second level considerations, but they are not kind of the data level metrics that inform everything we're doing, if that makes sense. I just wanted to capture this thought uh, as it was mm -hmm. inspired to me. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's also interesting to um, basically uh, remember that there are technical KPIs that, uh, uh, let's say, a digital product can be absolutely perfectly speedy, optimal, well-optimized and all that stuff. But on the business level, and I've worked on projects so many times where I've had to impact the business thinking because I would have perfectly been able to design the wrong thing. So it's like you can perfectly design the wrong thing. Why? Because the business level thinking is wrong and design can be perfectly right for that. And, and then you still fail because the business trumps uh, design and the, and the, and the product uh, Hence, hence why UX designers and product and service designers are increasingly kind of evolving into business designers. But of course, product, uh, sorry, business owners don't really want to give up their ability to say, their say on like, no, our business is about this. And it's like, maybe you need to change your business thinking before we can actually apply design uh, downstream or really redesign your business. This is why the design company thinking is there like this to say, well, design comes even before the business. Yeah, <laughs> That's why it's designed company, not company with design, <laughs> which we <laughs> had like the entire history of capitalist uh, societies is companies with design, but it kind of needs to be around. What do you think about that, Alex? I think, it, I mean, it's, it, it works both ways. I mean, you can think of it from that perspective, which is that, you know, what, what, what pe people do not interact with companies, they interact with their products and their services. So, for example, so are like, you, you know, interacting with Apple or are you interacting with a MacBook? Exactly. Um, what's, the, what's the answer there? Well, the answer there is like, if you were thinking of it from like, you know, the designed company, then obviously you are interacting with the actual finished products and the designs. You're not really interacting with kind of like the Apple kind of, um, you, you, I mean, you've got nothing to do with the company itself. The company, you know, uh, gives you nothing but just, you know, these, these products which you may or may not have access to. But at the same time, uh, you know, you're in the Apple ecosystem. So you're, you're interacting with kind of the vision and the framework's laid, laid out by the company itself, mm -hmm. which is that you're no longer just buying a product, but you're buying experience. You're buying into the kind of Apple firewall where, you know, you are protected from 
from security issues that may face other platforms. That's the choice you're making by entering into this contract with the company. So, so you are basically there, whether you realize it or not, you're arguing for the concept that you're interacting with Apple because the, the time when you're interacting with MacBook Pro, in my case, I'm on the MacBook Pro right now, I'm interacting with it while it's working. As soon as it stops working, I'm thinking, fucking Apple, right? <laughs> and why? Because the Apple is like a subconscious. That's the kind of the power of brands. They enter our subconscious that, you know, we don't even think about it consciously because it's already pre-assumed. Of course, I'm going with a Mac uh, and of course, I'm going with a apple watch as opposed to any other watch and of course i'm going with apple earbuds that are way overpriced and all of this stuff is because it's amazing design why because it works perfectly and as soon as it doesn't work perfectly which is a sort of like a problem with ux design whenever it works perfectly nobody thinks about ux design and goes oh thank you so much alex for designing perfect ux but when something fails they'll be like Fucking Apple, fucking Samsung, fucking Virgin Media. They'll curse and swear usually on Twitter nowadays, and that can go super viral. So you know, the answer is really, as far as I'm concerned, you're interacting with a company, but you're only conscious of that when things don't work. I mean, I just want to, to bounce off of one thing that Jason said there, which I think is very, very important, powerful thought to remember. So if we talk about IT, right? So IT department is usually people that you never hear about in a company. You know, your emails are working, your computer's working. And then the day there's like a bug, it's like, oh, IT is terrible. But actually, if IT is doing their job properly, you will never hear of them, right? Yeah, and, and you so can have 99% it... uptime, but that 1% yeah. time when it messed up your work, it messed up your reporting back to the manager, and you could exactly. have been fired or, you know, whatever. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? So it's just making things based on what you both are saying. It's like, okay, well, basically a good designer is sort of like a silent hero in the sense that we should never even have to think of think about them because it should just make so much sense. And like anytime I've used an iPhone, I've never thought about like, oh, I hope the design team at Apple is doing well. You know? I'll give you I'll give you an example here. Uh, both both of you actually are you guys fans of Samsung as a brand? I use a Samsung and even I'm not a it's fan right. of the brand. Okay. Okay, which brand is the, which brand do you really hate viscerally, Alex? Which brand do I hate physically? Um, uh, can you give me like... I'll give, give you an give, example. Give Here's context. In, in terms of shoes, right? I'll give you a term, in terms of shoes. Fila. Okay? Fila. Do you like Fila? No. Exactly. <laughs> so if I was to say to you, Fila have got really nice pair of shoes, really nice pair, this specific one, you know, it really suits you. Would you buy it? No. Probably not. No, because the, the, the ethos of that company and what it really stands for, it doesn't matter if they produced one good product, you will not switch, it will not, it's not strong enough reason for you. And certainly if Fila was the only company in the world that you could buy shoes from, you maybe would have gone, well, I'd never liked them, but this particular product got me to buy it, okay, because I need sports shoes. But because there's so much other companies, right? Nike, Nike comes first, Adidas comes second, and then most people kind of stop thinking, just like Coke and Pepsi, and then people stop thinking. Uh, yeah. So that that's where the design of the company is so so powerful, right? And we even as designers, we tend to kind of forget that 
we tend to think that it's product first. And I've been suffering from that disease effectively for 15 years to go actually it's the company design. And sometimes you actually can have like a really nicely designed company with a kind of like semi good product. That's why so many startups have taken off on like a really crappy MVP, Twitter being one of them, you know, Instagram and so on. Why? Because it's a kind of the, the, the sort of the essence, the spirit of it, the original purpose was so strong that people got pulled towards that, even though the product initially was super just like, shoestring kind of budget and bootstrapped okay uh so so i think that's like very very important uh kind of closing remark on this that um very very powerful companies tend to push design and compartmentalize design into the product region here and what you end up having is a lot of crappy companies with great products (laughs) what wins in the market is a great company with great products, but it could even yeah. get away with a very crappy product um, that, that that eventually evolves into an amazing product. Okay, so Alex, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Maybe we could have another another episode with you at some uh, future time and and this, uh, you know explore this a little bit more because obviously the intersection between design and business is is the you know the heart of this. Uh, <laughs> conversation where can people find Absolutely. out more about uh, about what you're doing and you yes you can of course follow me uh on twitter or linkedin or even instagram my username is exactly the same it's alexander tangy so at alexander tangy on all three platforms and yeah i would thank you so much for having me and i would love to come back on for another podcast and I cannot emphasize enough how much, you know, that kind of principle holds true, which is that you're not just designing products as a designer, uh, the best designers, you're also designing, you know, what the company is offering is you're, 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 you are an extension of the, of the company, you know, this whole debate between like user goals and, you know, business goals at the end of the day, you are serving both masters and effectively a, a well-designed company is crucial to a well-designed product nice one well, awesome we, we got an awesome sound bite there um oh. <laughs> what i will say in mind is let, let us all have a moment of appreciation for the <laughs> silent invisible designers yeah. that have given us great digital experiences which was so great we didn't have to think about them yeah exactly the yes. less you think about the product the better it is right that's, <laughs> that's the sort of super paradoxical thing about design uh, yeah so, yeah. <laughs> the best designs are self-effacing exactly all right guys thank you so much enjoy thank you